Hey, welcome to Own Your Future podcast, where we talk about some of uh, your biggest financial uh, purchases of your life. Today, we're having on Chris Newton with Caldwell Banker. He's going to give us an insight into the current market. Hey, Chris, thanks for coming. Hey, Eric, thanks for having me. This is wonderful. Uh, so tell uh, the viewers a little bit about yourself, what you do, and how the market's going. So as you mentioned, I'm a realtor with Coldwell Banker. I've been doing this uh, almost 10 years now. I serve the South Shore of uh, from like Quincy down to the Cape and even over to the Cape. I go over to Route 24. That's kind of my sweet spot on the South Shore. I help both buyers and sellers um, to buy and sell homes. I, uh, I enjoy educating buyers and sellers because I think that's really part of the process. It's not just about you know, slapping a for sale sign on your house, but it's a, the whole education process. And I really enjoy taking uh, my clients from start to finish through the process. Awesome. Uh, so I, I wanted to ask you a little bit of what the, uh, what the market is doing. You know, it's not spring yet, but we're heading into the spring market and I'm telling people to actually get ready for it. And based off uh, some of my buyers that are looking, they're, they're actually still getting their offers rejected and people seem to be going 20, 30,000 over. And that's a lot different than what we're seeing on the news. So can you give a little insight to what the market's currently doing right now? Yeah, um, I think a lot of it's regionalized. I think it's regionalized by town, you know, in certain um, certain towns that are highly sought after, you might see those above asking price offers. If I'm seeing a lot of, in a lot of cases, uh, listings go on the market and, you know, sure enough, within a, a week or two, they, they have some price drops. So I, we're in a market adjustment now from where we were this time last year and certainly for the past, you know, three or five years. It's, uh, it's been definitely a seller's market. Uh, sellers were in control. They could pretty much price their home you know, very competitively or, you know, at the top end of the range and expect multiple offers. Um, COVID had a lot to do with that because there just wasn't a lot of supply in the market. And that's really what's been driving these bidding wars is, is a lack of supply. And how is the supply looking right now? It's low. I mean, I, I look at the graphs uh, each month and we're lower than we were this time last year. So, um, that's probably why some of your buyers are seeing these um, above asking price offers come in is just because for every one house that goes on the market, you know, there's probably, you know, 50 qualified buyers that might want it. And that that creates a, a feeding frenzies and um, the bidding wars. I think, I mean, this is traditionally a slow time in the market. I mean, it's, it's snowing, it's cold and, you know, the weather's not nice uh, as we get towards spring. Uh, I expect more homes to come to the market. It always seems to happen. I just hope we have enough homes that come to the market so we can get back to more of a level playing field. And the market, you know, it's great if you're a seller in the market, but most sellers are also buyers. And that's been part of the problem um, with the low inventory is that sellers were afraid to put their house on the market because, you know, they, they watched the news and they, they knew that if their house goes on the market and the first open house comes around, they might get you know, five, six offers. And um, that's great. And, and a lot of them will probably be, you know, above asking price. But now these sellers most most likely have to buy a place. And unless they're moving out of state or, you know, going into a rental situation or some other, you know, situation that gives them more flexibility, if they're buying in this market, now they're 
now they're in that pool of buyers that are chasing the, the few homes. So it's kind of, um, it's, uh, it's encyclical. It's, it's, it's the fear of not being able to buy, which has been keeping inventory down in, in my estimation. Yeah. And the thing is, is like, I don't see kind of any change to the inventory issue in Massachusetts anyways. It seems like we're going to have an inventory problem for the next, at least the next two to three years, I would say. Do you see, do you see the inventory issue lightening up anytime soon? Uh, I, I, I do. I think it will lighten up. I think we just, I think the rise in interest rates, while no one likes to see that has helped. I mean, Prices have come down a little bit. Um, you know, you go back to to May, June of this past summer, and before the interest rates went up, homes it, it was crazy. You would get hundred thousand dollars above asking price from some you know of the higher end homes. It was just insane. And then once the the interest rate rates started going up, those type of crazy above asking price offers seemed to really kind of tail off and uh you know i had a specific example this goes back to may where there was a house it was a short little cul-de-sac road in pembroke most of the houses on that road are fairly similar they're all they were all built around the same time when the road went in uh there's some differences but basically it's you know, seven homes on this cul-de-sac it's a nice cul-de-sac everyone's got a nice uh plot of land this one house went on the market in uh mid-May before the interest rates went up and they listed it at 660. It sold within uh, a week and they got 725 for it. Crazy. In that exact same neighborhood, which um, had better features than the first house. The second house had a two-car garage where the first house did not have a garage. Um, the, the second house had a deck and some other nice features that the other house did not have. That house went on the market also for 660, stayed on the market for about 35 days and ended up selling for 635. And those were two, an example of two fairly similar houses that just hit the market, one before the interest rate hikes and one after the hikes. And it was dramatic to see. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Um, I, I had a, a home um, that was uh, done in 2021. Uh, and it was 800,000, basically $800,000 just about. And, and I just did the math and based off the interest rates that uh, changed, uh, it would have been, ha would have had to been purchased for almost $280,000 less to have the same monthly payment as when they, when they closed at the end of uh, 2021. So it's kind of crazy how dramatic, uh, the interest rate shift has changed the payments. So, uh, you know, with, with the shifting market, and even though we're still in a low inventory, what kind of tips are you giving sellers right now to deal with this upcoming spring market? Well, I think sellers, and that's a big part of my job is uh, setting expectations. Um, you know, the market is different. And once the spring does come, there will be more houses on the market. And buyers just, I mean, sellers just have to understand that it has shifted. I had a couple of uh, clients, uh, test the market last fall, this past fall. And this is after the interest rates have gone up, but you know, they're watching the news and they're thinking, Oh, I've got, you know, I could sell my home and get a small, you know, pot of gold, you know, by selling it to this high crazy bidder who's going to put uh, above asking price offer in. And they both put their house on the market with a, a price in mind that they wanted to get. And both houses stayed on the market for about 
uh, month, month and a half. And um, we did a couple of price drops and they still weren't getting what they wanted because their expectation and was not in line with the market, uh, the current buyer's market. They were both about, and these were higher end homes. So they were both about 75 to 100,000 above what the market would have paid for their homes. And I told them both, I said, if you want to drop it down to um, the, the proper level for this market, you'll sell it instantly because they are very nice homes. One, one overlooked Cape Cod Bay. You could see the, the hook of Cape Cod, you know, out the back window, that beautiful sunrises, beautiful home, but just not priced right. And the expectations needed to be adjusted. So my number one advice to, um, to, to sellers is, is talk to a realtor, get some comps, because now we've gone through about six months of lower of lower sale prices. So the comps are starting to come in line with the market um, expectations out there um, and, and work with a, a, an experienced realtor and set, set a fair price and you'll sell your home. So, so you're talking about, you know, getting comps and setting a fair, fair price. Give people a little bit of an idea of when you're trying to give a seller uh, the proper expectation of what their house may go for in this market, how do you determine what is a good comp? And, and actually, you know, we're, we're using, you know, um, abbreviations for some of our talks. So go into a little bit more detail what a comp is and, and then how you actually go in to determine uh, the market value of a house when you're, when you're going to a seller. Sure. A comp is a comparable sale. So comp is short for comparable. So you look in the market. Uh, I usually go back nine, uh, six months in terms of looking for past sales. I do it. Um, I look at for homes that are similar in size. You know, if, if, a, if the subject property has three bedrooms and one and a half baths, I'll look for houses that are either three or four bedrooms between one and two baths. So that very, it's very hard unless you're in a development where all the homes went in and they're all the, the same style, the same size. It's very hard to get a direct comparison, but you can you can adjust. So if a, if your subject property has three bedrooms, you can use a, a house that has four bedrooms, but might only have one bath where your subject property might have one and a half. So there's trade-offs. So you just try to find homes that are similar in style and size and location. So if a house is on a busy main road um that's you've got to consider that if you're comparing it to a house that's in a you know butting up against conservation land at the end of a nice cul-de-sac so you just you you kind of adjust and you you get a range of homes um and then i present them to the home the home seller i say this is a home that's sold and i also do it um within about a mile and a half radius of the subject property so even in, um, so let's say you're in Plymouth, if you're in Eastern end of Plymouth, those homes um, have a different perceived value than the homes in the Western end of Plymouth. So you try to get it within like a mile, mile and a half of the subject property. And I, I go over these comps with the seller. I say, you know, your house is better than this house in this regard, but this this other house has, maybe they just recently redid your their kitchen, whereas, the subject property's kitchen might be a little bit older. And so you kind of walk them through it and then you you help them understand where their house would fall. And also you look at the age of the, the sale. If it was six months ago, that might be different um, than a sale that happened just, just a month ago. And so you have to educate the, the, 
the seller. Like, yeah, this house sold for a lot of money six months ago, but the market shifted since then. So you kind of set the expectations and bring them into um, what a current buyer might be interested in uh, spending for their house. So, so obviously with, with the past market, you know, houses were going up in many cases higher than expected or initially thought of and, and, and sellers are getting a lot and then the market shifts and now sellers are getting less. Has there been a lot of pushback from sellers when you go to them and show them the value of their house? And they're like, well, I think my house is worth X and you're saying, why can we list it for X? And do you, do you talk to them about, about the, the, the risks of listing it for a different price than what you think we yeah. should, that you should sell it for? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I have a nice graph that I that I got um, that shows the like if you price the house right when you first list your house you get all the eyeballs right it pops up on everybody's phone you know any anyone who's looking for let's say a three bedroom two bath cape and if that's what you're selling you know it pops up on everyone's phone like this house just came to the market so you get a lot of eyeballs on your listing when it first first hits the market and you want to capture those eyeballs. And if you price it too high, you're not going to capture the right set of eyeballs. Because if you if the house is say like the market value is 350, and you try to list it for 450, people who are looking for a 450 house are going to want something more than what you're selling. So you're going to lose a lot of traction if you don't do it properly. Another um, challenge that realtors come up against is Zillow, right? Because Zillow has their estimates, and Zillow you know, is a public site that anyone can look up their own house and you get the estimate of your house. Um, Zillow is an algorithm. It's just a computer-based algorithm that's based on past sales and rough data like square footage and what town you're in. There's, there's no one from Zillow that's coming out to take a look at your house to see if you've updated your bath or if, you're, or if your back deck is falling off the house. There, that's not factored into a Zillow uh, estimate. Estimate. And it's also backward looking. So that was a big problem when the market shifted back in the summer because these values, you know, a home, home homeowner was looking at, oh, my gosh, you know, I bought my house for 400,000 two years ago. Now Zillow says it's worth 800,000. And it really wasn't. It was just the crazy market and the algorithm doesn't adjust for the actual market conditions. Um, so I do educate the the sellers on the dangers of overpricing. Um, I say, you know, you and if they're really adamant that they really because they watch the TV shows and they watch Zillow and they talk to their neighbors and their their family and they're adamant that their house is worth X, I think it's worth maybe twenty thousand lower than that. I'll say, okay, we'll try it. We'll have a we'll have an open house or two. And we'll see what type of reaction we get. And if we don't get the reaction we want, we're going to need to drop it um, pretty soon to get back, get those eyeballs back. And because the last thing a homeowner wants is to have their house linger on the market for 60, 90 days, because then the perception obviously is, you know, what's wrong with the property. And it might be nothing wrong with the property. It might be just overpriced. Yeah. Interesting. Um, so you, you obviously help buyers as well. Um, it, it, are you seeing anything, the market changing for them? What are you seeing as a buyer heads into this market? I think the buyers have more, well, they're getting some of their leverage back um, in the, in the crazy days, you know, a year back. And even during the height of COVID buyers were desperate, you know, interest rates were low. So there's a lot of people who could qualify for, 
you know, loans at a certain uh, value point. Um, and it, they were desperate. So when that one house came on the market and 50 buyers wanted it, you know, they were doing all sorts of crazy things like waiving home inspections, waiving. Sometimes they wouldn't even they'd put an offer inside unseen. They wouldn't even they would just look at the pictures online and put the offer in without even seeing the place. Um, and so they were giving up a lot of their 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 rights, really. You know, you have a right to a home inspection. Uh, you have a right to, you know, not overpay. They were they were waiving uh, appraisal uh, situations where if the appraisal comes in lower, they were guaranteeing that they would bridge the distance, but the dip, the difference between the appraised price and their purchase price. You know, potentially, you know, putting a lot of cash on the table that. Um, you know, could come back to bite them later on. So I'm seeing that the with the interest rates rise, I, I'm seeing the the sellers have less leverage, even though it is still a seller's market. I want to make that clear. It's still a seller's market, but they there has to there's more of a negotiation that goes on now than there was, you know, six, eight months ago. Yeah. Before before it was sellers were like, you know, take it or leave it. If you want my house, you know be the highest bidder. Yeah. So I'm telling, I'm telling a lot of my buyers um, uh, to look at, you know, the more budget, budget conscious buyers, I'm telling them to look at homes that have been sitting on the market longer. Um, so for example, you know, I, I had a couple people put some offers over the weekend. One house was on the market for, um, for just a week. They went to see the open house and there was other people interested in it. And they, my buyers actually went $20,000 over asking and um, somebody outbid them by like another 20,000. So they weren't sure what the price, like how much higher, but they think that the people who got it actually went 35 to 40,000 40, over list versus their 20,000 over list. And that was just this weekend. Um, I had another buyer lose out uh, on somebody who went $20,000 over list. And, um, <clears throat> and so I'm telling a lot of buyers, if, you know, if you're looking at the, the houses that are on the market for a week, week and a half, maybe two weeks, that there's a chance that that you might still actually have to go over list price to get that home. And if you don't want to, really, you need to look at homes that have been on the market for three, four, five weeks. What, what do you think about that? Or do you, do you think that advice is sound? I think that's spot on. And that's what I've been telling buyers too. You know, when that listing first hits the market and, you know, it pops up on everyone's uh, search feeds that pop, you know, show up on their phone that morning. That's, that's when most of the eyeballs hit. That, that's what I was talking about before. That's when most of the eyeballs hit the house and you're putting yourself in a situation where you're probably going to have to overspend for that house. And so, you know, when buyers first get into the market, that's what they want to do. They want to get, you know, the shiny new house that hits the market and, you know, maybe they're in a situation where they're renting, they don't have to buy, uh, they've got some time and flexibility. And then I have other buyers who've been, you know, putting in offers for, for months and always getting outbid or, you know, just not getting their offer accepted. I tell them, you know, like exactly what you said, look at houses that have been on the market 10 or more days. That way the initial feeding frenzy is over. The seller is starting to think, okay, well, what's wrong with my house? You know, maybe I'm going to have to make some concessions. And so the, the buyers start to get a little bit more leverage when the house has been on the market for, you know, 10 days. If it's been on the market for 90 days, you know, there might be some, there might be an issue with the house. Yeah. Uh, you know, if 10 to, you know, 30 days, 
that's a good sweet spot for buyers to pick up a good deal. So, so sellers, if if you don't list your property correctly, you could be taking a haircut uh, on your list price because you didn't listen to the realtor and what you should be uh, pricing it at. And buyers, you know, my my buyers right now are are learning that new homes are that are priced right are going for higher than list still. Um, so what do you think is going to happen this spring? I, you know, I think that uh, that rates are going to come down a little bit more. I, I think we're going to probably see inflation somewhere between three and four percent by by June. I, I actually think by July we might be seeing inflation closer to three percent. So what do you think that's going to do for the spring, the spring and summer market if we start seeing that happen? Yeah, I think that's that. I think that's a really good sign for a strong market. I, I follow your numbers and I see the rates have been inching down week to week uh, for the last couple of weeks. Hopefully that continues. Um, there's a lot of pent up demand out there, both on the buy and sell side. You know, people sell for a reason, right? They they need to upsize, they need to downsize, they need to relocate. Those no those needs. Sometimes you can push them off a little bit, like okay, you know, we can stay crammed in this house, but we're we're expecting another or our fourth kid, and we really need to get that bigger house, you know, at some point, um, you just got to make the move. And I think um, with the interest rates coming down a little bit, you know, people are going to take advantage of that and, um, you know, jump in the market and, and buyer and sellers, I think, you know, the spring will be almost not quite a year, but nine months or so after the interest rates first went up. I'm hoping that the the expectations that, you know, that they might have had a year ago are waning. Like my my examples of my two clients who tested the market and they were both, you know, ultimately, you know, 75 to 100 over what the market was bearing. That message is getting out there and that buyers are more realistic and um, we get more of a healthy market because when there's more of a balance between buyers and sellers, that's when it's healthy, when it's completely one sided like it has been not a healthy market. Perfect. Perfect. Um, so if you were to, if you were to give, uh, you know, uh, just if you were to say, Hey, sellers, you're, uh, we're, we want to sell this spring. What is one thing that you tell them they need to do to get ready to sell this spring? Well, I, you know, I would, um, I would take a good look at your, at the house, right. And see if there's anything, that is uh, maybe some deferred maintenance that they were kind of hoping to not deal with. Because that was the other thing, you know, homes, you know, a year ago, you could sell a house with a, a roof that, you know, had very little life expectancy left and expect to sell it for above asking. You know, buyers were that desperate. They were willing to take on your deferred maintenance and pay extra for it. Um, now, I don't know if that's going to fly. Um, so I would have them, I would have a seller really take a, you know, take a look at your own house as if you were the buyer, you know, look at the, look at the, the windows, look at the, um, even the landscaping, look at the roof, look at all, you know, uh, the heating system or the AC system or the, the bathrooms and see if there's some little projects that you could do between now and then to, to spruce it up and eliminate that as a concern or a red flag for a potential buyer. Um, that said, you know, we we still have an issue with, um, you know, finding the tradespeople, right? The contractors are all busy. Um, and so if you do decide that, you know, okay, if I 
put in a new vanity in my bathroom or, you know, it doesn't have to be a gut renovation, but you just spruce up some of the fixtures or the vanities or um, line up your contractor now, um, get them, get them on board. So by the time the spring, it comes around, you know, their work is done and you can get on with uh, presenting your house. Now, is there anything that you ever tell sellers not to do? Like, hey, a seller's like, oh, I don't want to put my my uh, property on the market until I get this done. And, and do you ever say, well, you probably actually shouldn't do that and just put it on the market. Is there anything you tell sellers not to do before they put it on the market? Yeah, I, 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 I tell them to shy away from like repainting everything. Um, it depends. Like if their house is really bold colors, you know, deep reds and blues and oranges, you might want to repaint those rooms to get a more neutral. But barring that, um, I tell them not to worry too much about the painting and too much about the rugs because a new buyer is probably going to repaint, you know, because your color scheme that, you know, that you love in your own house may not be the color scheme that the, the buyer likes. And so you could spend all this time and effort and money to replace the rugs and paint the walls just to have the, the buyer come in and say, well, I love the house, but I hate the rugs. I'm going to rip them out. So it's basically wasted money. Um, I, but obviously if there's any, uh, safety concerns, like check your attic, see if there's might be mold up there. Uh, mold remediation is not that expensive and take that off the table before, you know, people start coming into your house. Those things I would definitely take a look at again, mold remedi remediation is a thousand bucks. Take care of it, get it done. Uh, have your septic tested, you know, have that tested now because the last thing you want to find out is, you know, after the PNS, you get the, uh, have the Title V inspection done and you find out your septic failed. That's a rude awakening for both the, the seller and the buyer. So get that done ahead of time. It's, you know, 400 bucks or so, 500 bucks to have your septic test to get a Title V. The Title V is good two years generally. You have that in your pocket. So there's those are the type of things I would do ahead of time. And uh, like I said, the walls and carpeting and stuff like that, I would, I would uh, defer on and, you know, because the buyer will probably change that. Now, now, there are some good times and bad times to get your septic tested, right? Like if it's been raining a while, you don't want to get your septic tested because they do a perk test. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I think there there definitely are. I'm not the septic expert, but, you know, I would I would rec if I were talking to a seller, I'd say, you know, I've got a couple of people that or a couple of companies that do Title V inspections. They're excellent at what they do. Give them a call and. And, and schedule it. And the, the Title Five people may say, well, you know, we just had a boatload of rain. Um, let's put it, put a shit off for like a month or, or whatever they say. And I would go with their recommendations, but I would at least start that conversation. So, so as a mortgage guy, I'm also, I, I'm mainly helping, you know, uh, buyers and I help a bunch of first time home buyers. And so I'm often giving them tips on what they need to do for the mortgage and getting ready, whether or not it's a down payment assistance program or if it's a, another pro, a loan program that they're using. You know, other than maybe the loan stuff, are there any tips that you're giving new buyers as they come into the market? Well, a lot of it is around the loan stuff, you know, get pre-approved and obviously work with your mortgage lender because pre-approvals, they're about how long do they last about 30 days 60 days yeah so so the so pre-approvals like uh, most realtors want them updated within 30 days but yeah. the, the, credit, the credit report is good for 120 and so i usually tell people like if you need an update updated letter just let me know and i'll press a button and i'll print you an updated letter but i say hey credit report's good for 120 days and you know as long as uh you know you you didn't get fired or get demoted and your job is the same and your income is the same, then, then we're pretty, 
pretty good to go. And so really, um, you know, the only the only other thing we need to check is to see if interest rates uh, changed. And that was probably over the summer. That was probably the biggest the biggest change, because as rates went up, people's purchasing power went down. So. Yeah. And I would also tell buyers, you know, start putting a list together of things. When you're looking for a house, what's your ideal house? Put a list together. Like, do you want a basement? Do you want a, do you want a fireplace? Do you want a garage? And make a list of the, of the features that you're looking for. Do you want to be in a neighborhood? Do you want to be close to the highway? And then, then categorize each one of those wants. Like, is it, is it a must-have or a nice-to-have? And so that when you're out there looking at homes, you can, you can better you know, make a decision about which homes you want to put the offer in and which homes you're excited about. You know, maybe this house, maybe you really wanted a fireplace, but this house that you're looking at has everything that you want except for that fireplace. Well, maybe you can give up the fireplace for now and, and still be happy with your home. So I think that list ahead of time, you know, talk, if, they're, if it's a couple, you know, get, get on the same page. You know, make sure you're looking for the same type of house because I can't tell you how many couples I've worked with where the husband wants one thing and the wife wants a different thing. And it just makes the whole process a lot different, a lot more difficult. So get on the same page, you know, kind of designate what you must have in a house and what you would like to have, but not not critical. Yeah. So I'm often asking them, you know, what kind of monthly payment are they comfortable with? Because obviously this sometimes there's a difference between what I can qualify you for and what you're comfortable with. So that's a lot of times what I say is like, figure out what kind of monthly payment you're happy with. So Chris, um, you know, I wanted to thank you for coming on this, uh, the show and sharing your expertise with my viewers out there. If somebody wanted to get in touch with you, cause they had questions about buying or selling, how would they get in touch with you? Well, the, the easiest way is probably an email. It's, uh, by my name. So it's Chris Newton at N E moves.com. That stands for new England moves.com. That's the Coldwell banker domain. Um, that's probably the easiest way. I am on Facebook. Guiding Transitions is my um, business page. So you can look that up. And my con all my contact information is there as well. Hey, thank you everybody for coming and watching Own Your Future. Remember to like, share, and subscribe so that other people can get some of the content here on Own Your Future. And we will see you next week. Right. Thank you, Eric. Thank you, Chris. All right. Take care.